Oh man, was the okay. Last time we did this, was the queen dead? <laughs> um, hmm. Let me check. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she was. Okay. okay. I wonder what we did. Huh. Yeah, November 1st. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the description of the last episode. And I'm like, because the whole, like, playlist thing, right? Um, yeah. Eh, we could just sort of dump that, that shtick, I suppose. Hello friends and folks and welcome back to On Her Majesty's Secret Playlist, the podcast where we decode the secret operations of 007 James Bond in game and movie and probably at some point other media too. At some point we'll have to do some books, I guess. I'm Six Detmar. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Uncle. And uh, the latest from The Queen She's still fucking dead. Hey! <laughs> Indeed. You know, the best thing that could ever happen to this podcast is, is for her to fucking die. I mean, to the world, too. I mean, okay, there are a lot of good things that could happen to the world. But that's a, that's on the list. Uh, that's on the list. Good work. Good work. Yep. How you been since the last episode, Jen? How's your, how's your Bond life been? It's been okay. Um... <laughs> I've been kind of waiting for IO Interactive to say literally anything about the Bond project they announced, but instead they just went ahead and announced a new fantasy project instead of saying anything about the other one they announced. Well, you know, sometimes it's like that. Uh, it's also weird, I'm sure, with licensed stuff where it's like, oh, they probably want to do... If I were to guess and this is really just be guessing they would want to like debut it alongside some like news some other news for the series right yeah i also i'm also trying to remember did the amazon sale happen before or after they announced uh they announced their uh bond game probably after but i'm not sure mm. i don't know not the sort of thing i i actually keep that much of uh my my attention on um, you know what I do keep my attention on? Yeah? James Bond, and Pierce Brosnan in particular, my, probably still my favorite Bond. Um, because for, for this month, which, you know, we're, uh, we're a Scanline Media podcast. It's a whole network of, uh, of shows. I think the count is 13 podcasts. Um, and, uh, might be, I might be off by one or two. And, uh. We're for for the month of March. We're sort of talking about like origins, right? We're talking about foundational texts for us in in various you know areas, and uh, I don't know that it gets much more foundational for a pair of uh, millennial gamers than Goldeneye. Yep, uh, especially since there was a time um, long ago when I thought, okay, I'm just gonna do like a whole video essay series on. James Bond video games for Scanline Media, even though I've never done a video essay before. So I went out of my way to procure a bunch of capture stuff, played like the first 10 levels of Goldmine while recording it, realized, 
I don't know what to do with this and kind of shelved it until six brought up the idea of this podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, that is why we are here today is that project, um, another form of that project. And uh, yeah, I, I imagine both of us played a lot of GoldenEye in our youth. Oh yeah. Well, I, I played a, for about a month when it came out <laughs> because uh, I was, let me see. I was six years old when that game came out and my parents bought it. My parents bought it for me just thinking, oh, hey, here's a Nintendo game. And a month later, mom like walked in, saw the shooting and was like, you know, I didn't really think about it, but <laughs> James Bond is kind of a person who kills a bunch of people. So I'm just going to take this away from now and let you play it when you're older. And, uh, uh -huh. It got lost in moves, but it got lost in several moves. But the funny thing is, it somehow ended up uh, just following us around every time we moved. So I still have the cartridge, like the original cartridge she bought for me downstairs. Nice. Good get. I've got my copy up on a up on a shelf. Um, I, I For this version, I primarily played the uh, the uh, re-release on Xbox. Um though I did end up playing a little bit on a uh, an emulated copy. Of course, legally emulated because I have a physical copy of the game. I can point to you. Eat shit, lawyers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, and you also have it through, like, Switch and Xbox, so... I don't have it through Switch. Oh, you don't have the Switch Online uh, expansion pass thing? Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Although I... I I've been told they have that like the N64 emulation isn't the disaster it was when they launched that feature, so maybe it's worth checking out. But I haven't bothered. Yeah, uh, GoldenEye is a 1995 James Bond film um, and a 1997 game. Um, and as we usually do, we'll start by talking about the game, and then we'll talk about the movie some. Um, this is a, a rare game and, of course, one of the, like, sort of foundational um, console shooters, right? It's um, depending on, like, that that distinction has sort of stopped making as much sense between console and PC games, obviously, over the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. But um, there's definitely, like, clear schools of, like, of, like, lineage. And while they may, like, at this point, maybe games will be exclusively a pc game right maybe it only comes out on steam but still owes a lot to the design lineage of goldeneye totally like uh and one of the more fascinating things about it is that it was made by such a small skeleton crew of developers many of whom like this was their first project in general so they kind of just ended up doing a bunch of things that back then and even now would be seen as like oh you really shouldn't do it that way but that it turned out amazingly regardless <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i think one of the things that like coming back to it i mean obviously i have nostalgia for the game right but it's still really fun which was a great surprise yeah like as of a like uh for the longest time over the past maybe five to ten years or so my brain has just gone okay Clearly, Perfect Dark is the better game, and while that is true in some regards, just sitting down and being like, I'm just going to play Goldeneye from beginning to end, it still has a lot of charm to it. 
yeah, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about Perfect Dark uh, playing this because it is, you know, we never get a sequel to GoldenEye 007, which is, of course, the, the title of the N64 game. We get other games in the series, but we never get Rare taking another stab at it. And we never really get someone copying, like, like continuing this design ideology straightforwardly, right? Like, obviously, the other games thereafter mostly uh, use what uh, GoldenEye did as inspiration. But, like, there's no real attempt to be the successor to this except for Perfect Dark, which is not a Bond game. Yeah, at a certain point, once EA got their hands on the license and later Activision, there were attempts to kind of replicate certain modes and features and just iconic bits from GoldenEye in their own games, but uh, it never quite hit the same way, even when they decided, okay, we're going to remake GoldenEye from the ground up. Yeah, so there's that remake on on Wii, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point, and then um, though we probably would play the like slightly updated port for 360 and PS3, I would guess. Um, there is of course Goldeneye Rogue Agent, which we have already covered here, uh, and there's Goldeneye Source, and oh, I didn't realize there's also a a one that managed to come out the same year as the movie. There's a Tiger Electronics Goldeneye. <laughs> We probably won't cover that, I'm going to guess. Yeah, probably not. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of adaptation work. Um, but none of it really like I think GoldenEye Rogue Agent is not really trying to it it, it steals the GoldenEye name to for marketing purposes, but is not really trying to be GoldenEye kind of at all. And then the uh the remake they did um in 2010 it's a very strange game <laughs> uh it was made by Eurocom who had been making bond games for years at that point but like clearly they were taking a lot of inspiration from Activision's own Call of Duty yeah yeah and like reworking it to be like it's like they tried to pretend that it was a movie like that that they like they worked in Daniel Craig to be bond and then they sort of like updated like plot moments from the movie of being like, and then they went to this nightclub, which is like sort of like how they go to the club in the movie, but it's not, you know, it's just a weird attempt to modernize. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, so we have what we have nine uh, basic like level, nine worlds divided into levels. If you want to use that terminology, right? Something like that. Yeah. Like that, you you get a screen like a mission selection screen with twenty levels, but um, in truth, like many of those levels are treated as uh, sub levels within a particular mission. Right. So, um, like, see, the list goes like you got uh, uh, Arkhangelsk, which I'm sorry, my Russian is not is not super good, um, which consists of dam facility and uh runway uh then we have severnaya with surface bunker and then um if we come back for anyway what like first of all like what levels stood out to you playing playing through this again mm. i feel like dan would be the easy one just because it's the one that um 
everyone remembers because of the bungee jumping and the inaccessible islands that you can see if you use the sniper rifle. But uh, honestly, the one that really stood out to me is the one where you're on that uh, that ship. I think it might be called Cargo. Um, oh, Frigate. Frigate, yeah. Where you're just running around and uh, saving hostages and uh, defusing bombs, that kind of thing. Like, there's something about the way that they handle such a small environment being surrounded by water that was kind of interesting to me. Also, you enter and leave the level on the same small uh, speedboat. Yeah, um, it's kind of a reminder of, in ways, like, old bits of design that, like, there are bits of old design that I think people can argue whether or not they're good or not, right, compared to modern approaches, right? And then there are bits where it's like, no, clearly we just got better at this. Like, pathfinding, those hostages wig out when you free them. <laughs> yeah, I ended up coming up to the surface and only to see that there were two of them that were just doing laps around the exterior of the ship. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, uh... I had them like, you know, like, like just running into walls and sort of like twitching, like randomly changing, you know, their direction, but not actually moving because they were stuck in a wall. Um, managed to complete my mission just fine, but it was like, ah, oh, whew. Um, and in previous playthroughs in the past, I remember them, you know, like jumping in front of shots, which I didn't have a problem with them doing that this time, but perhaps other people. Um, one of the main things that, that Rare did with this and, and Perfect Dark is... Um, they had a, like a difficulty system where higher difficulties had more mission objectives. Yeah. And like, it's something that out of everything else, GoldenEye influenced, it's one of the only things that only, that stayed almost entirely within GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. And mm -hmm. it's kind of a shame because it's an interesting way of handling difficulty that you don't really see people taking advantage of. Yeah, I think it's a much more compelling way to handle difficulty because obviously you had problems like when I was when I beat uh, Dam on Double O Agent um, for the for this playthrough, I it was a near thing because I didn't have enough bullets because enemies oh. are tanky, um, and there there was a point at the end where I had the last objective you know in the um down sort of the tunnel way down there and you get to the end and there's the computer room. I cleared out the tunnel way, but by the time I got to the computer room, I had three shots left and I shot them. And then I just sort of crouched around the corner and karate chopped people who tried to come towards me. Um, that part of the difficulty is, you know, kind of hit or miss, right? That the classic, just like, okay, enemies get tankier and they hit you harder and they're more accurate. But the the approach of like there's more things you need to look out for and sometimes like often it's just like there's more things to check off the list right like it is not inherently more difficult to also install the modem as you walk by and damn you know mm -hmm. but um sometimes it is stuff where it's like you like you have to access rooms that you wouldn't bother with otherwise and there are you know like dangers associated with that right or like there are extra like timed elements like i think one of the best examples of this is the uh cavern level where on on agent on the easy difficulty you just it's like just get out you don't have to worry about anything else just run towards the exit and shoot anyone between you and there 
and the other difficulties requiring you to actually like, you know, go out of your way and not ignore enemies because they're guarding something you need actually changes the way you have to approach the level. Yeah, they also put a bunch of uh, scientists near computers that you have to destroy. And because, like, everything you shoot here, regardless of whether it's a chair or a computer, blows up when you shoot it. You basically have to herd scientists away like sheep in order to blow up the computers and get the mission done. Yeah, it's not ideal. There are parts of this that I, like, one of the other things that got me is, like, I had to check a guide several times. Um usually just because I didn't know what I was doing wrong, right? Like, it wasn't because I was, um, like, what? I wasn't like, uh, like, oh, how do I beat this, right? It was like, why do I get game overs here? Like, uh, Statue Park? Yeah. At the end, you have to put your gun away as you're running towards guys who look identical to the guys you've been shooting this whole time. Um... And I was like, how do, there are two guys. Okay. I shot, I could shoot the one guy before he shoots Natalia, but it's like, okay, do I got to like really quick, like swing and do like a quick double tap? And it's like, the guy's like, no, just put your gun away. It's like, why does that, why is that the solution? (laughs) (laughs) Statue Park is a particularly hellish kind of level. Um, This is an anecdote I read in the GoldenEye 007 book that Ali Snore um, wrote for Boss Fight Books, where they ended up getting a lot of interviews with uh, various people who worked on the game. Um, apparently, the level designers were like, hey, this CCCP letters, they're pretty cool. I'm just going to put a bunch of them wherever. And they ended up scattering around too many C's and people kept getting lost in playtesting. <laughs> yeah, it is easy to like I I managed to because I was not trying to look at a guide and I got Natalia killed so many times. I ended up doing that level like seven or eight times. So by the end, I knew the place like the back of my hand. Um, but it is very, it is a very weirdly laid out level. Um, and it is a level where like you don't get any bonus objectives with higher difficulties. There are five objectives regardless of your difficulty. And so there are areas of the level that just aren't used for anything. There's this cabin that is just there. It's very strange. Yep. It's also one of the few levels that's kind of a victim of the fact that they couldn't exactly fit the entire plot of the movie in here. So when you get uh, Sean Bean approaching you and you have a whole conversation about him being a Leanne's Cossack, it's like, yeah, this went over my head when I was a kid, and it seems like it went over most other people's heads, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little... It's a little hard to parse, because there's not a lot of way to... Like... There isn't voice acting in this game. Except for, you know, like, guard grunts, right? Like, mm-hmm. they don't even have lines of dialogue. They just uh, make groans and grunts and... Ugs. Um... And whenever dialogue needs to occur, it is just, like, subtitles popping up as two people stand there silently. Um, which limits what how much you can, like, I think one of the limits is just people's patience, right? Like, obviously, they could have made that scene longer and had him be like, let me explain what Lien's Cossack is, right? But it's like, you are already testing a, an FPS player's patience by having them just stand there as sub- subtitles pop up for however many seconds, you know? Yeah. 
And it also leads to funny moments where when you're in the cell directly across from Natalia, um, <laughs> Bond just goes over to her and is like, it appears we are roommates and there's no period. <laughs> and it just cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, there are bits that are really like, honestly, one of the weird things is I feel like the statue park actually makes slightly more sense in the level than in the movie. <laughs> A little. They do more with the location in the game than they do in the movie. And also, like, the the scheme at the end kind of makes more sense. Like, his guys just try to shoot you with guns, as opposed to, like, we'll put you in this helicopter with, like, none of the controls disabled and just hope it goes okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that in the movie. Yep. Um, I feel like going back to it, like, one with the remaster, like... The aim assist has always been generous. When you combine that with dual analog controls, um, it makes the game a lot easier. Yeah, that, that aim assist kind of disappears entirely the harder you set it. So I feel like having that second analog stick makes Double O Ancient much more approachable than it was back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's still a degree of it. Um, like there still is some auto aim, but certainly the, like the radius that it'll search goes down. It's like, it's to the point that like when you're, um, walking around in some of the larger areas that have a, like, you know, draw distance issues, cause it's the N64, you will see your gun just wigging out because you're like, I guess there's someone beyond the horizon. <laughs> uh, James Bond does Robocop just automatically seeing something in the distance and aiming appropriately. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the original game, like, um, we'll get to talk about it, but like the, uh, the last two missions, um, are secret unlockable missions. And this is the first time I've ever seen them. Um, I never went ahead and looked them up on YouTube or anything. And back in the day, double O agent was quite hard. And I was only ever playing at a friend's house. Um, I was, I was not able to get there. It was just too hard. And as you say, I think the, the dual analog controls make it a little more reasonable. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah, back in the day, like, basically this project had a weird situation where, um, like, a quarter of the way through, or maybe even halfway through, it went from an on-rail shooter, uh, Virtua Cup style, to um, complete free movement. So um, one of the ways that they kind of accounted for that change is that you hold down a button to manually aim, and suddenly a cursor appears on the screen, allowing you to kind of adjust your aim rail shooter style. Yeah. The problem with the remake, I think the one thing that does kind of irritate me is, I mean, first of all, they just make it like, like iron sights, right? Where you don't, you don't move your gun freely around the screen. The reticle appears and you zoom in somewhat. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which like, I guess I understand trying to modernize the controls. They also add like breathing sway and stuff to it, which is kind of exasperating. That was not there in the original game. I thought that was there in the original game. I, was I it? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, there are parts of it where, like, especially, like, on, on, um, on Dam, on Double O Agent, when you have to shoot the guys in the bunker, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, like, rose-tinted goggles. I don't remember it being that obnoxious mm. <laughs> on the N64. Hmm. Okay. Well, maybe I'm wrong about that. So, like, what... I don't know. Going back to it, like I think we it's a it's a game that is pretty memorable and also it is there's not a lot 
to remember, right? By which I mean, like, it is not a game where you go back and there are a million details that sort of, like, passed it by in your memory. Mm-hmm. It is a game that is pretty, like, nucleic. The experience is there and you go through it. So there's not a lot that slides out of your mind. Um, so, like, what parts that sort of surprised you going back? Hmm. I think the bit that surprised me the most is that... Uh... When I went back to, like, I think it's, what's the snow level called again? Surface? Yes, as Surface 1 and 2, yeah. Yeah. Surface 2, when you visit it on that uh, second visit, it's the way the lighting changes and it feels like you're almost underwater with how dark the clouds are above and how it reflects onto the snow. It It's a downright spooky game sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially with that uh, soundtrack involving a lot of, uh, I don't know the name of that specific bong sound they use, but uh, there's something very sinister and foreboding about most of the soundtrack. Yeah, there's a lot of industrial influence, which I um, I didn't remember is also true of the movie, um, as far as the soundtrack. Because when I, I ended up watching the movie, of course, after beating the game, and I was like, oh... Uh, they were taking fewer liberties with the soundtrack than I realized. Yeah. Though they do go out of their way to, like, make a bunch of... Pretty much all the music you hear in the game itself is original. Yeah, and it's it's a great soundtrack. Um, it's, it's better than the movie soundtrack. Um, and there are certainly, like, levels that have iconic themes and stuff that are distinct from the the movie and and the the tones it's going for but still sort of fit the atmosphere and instrumentation Mm -hmm. i think one of the things that like surprised me a lot playing it was just like i guess my memory just erased all the escort stuff (laughs) yeah oh right this sucks (laughs) i did appreciate in my memory i was I, i did they change for the remaster that Natalia can't get hit by enemy fire, or was that always true? Wait, did Natalia not get hit by enemy fire for you? Natalia, no. And playing on the uh, playing on the Xbox, Natalia could be standing between me and like five dudes dumping. If I didn't fire, she wouldn't get hit. Oh, I was never in a position where I was firing between Natalia and the guard. So it's a good thing to avoid. Um, because she will just like lunge in front of your gun and then just drop, right? Like one bullet and she's done. Um, it's, I understand why they do it the way they did, but the early one, early missions, it even feels like during the course of their own game, they realized how obnoxious this is because later like areas where you like missions where you have to have her with you one, they give her a gun and two, they spend as much time making her like stand somewhere else as possible. They even <laughs> start a mission by bond being like, stay in this elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That specific mission, though, control is something of a nightmare because, like, there's that bit where you guide her to the computers and it's like a three to four minute sequence where you're protecting her as people are coming down the stairways. But then people can also come from the bottom floor. I I had that happen to me once and I was just totally unprepared for it. 
Oh yeah, they'll bust through like the walls are glass, but they're like darkened glass, so you can't see through them unless you get really close. And they will bust through those walls from the sides and stuff. It's uh it's a bad time. Um I had to I did have to follow a guide for that one. I was looking at a guide for a different reason because there are a lot of like exits and stuff in that area. Like there are a lot of like almost like secret passageway locations in this game where like when you're in like especially the organic environments like the rock ones you know Mm -hmm. cavern and and this where it's like oh there's a shadow and if you walk into the shadow there's a hallway it's like why did you do this um (laughs) and so i got stuck because i just couldn't find a way to progress i was like okay i blew up the servers and now what um and in 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 reading that guide i saw a way to do the um the protecting Natalia gunfight that worked pretty well, still obnoxious, still harder than it needed to be. Yeah, that level also has, well, several other levels also have the situation where you'll see grates that will, you can basically phase through them like a ghost if you approach them. It's even Mm -hmm. necessary for Aztec, and uh, it's not really something they teach you to look out for. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, in Aztec, you learn because if you wait, people will run through it and shoot you. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, But it's just a bit of design that I remembered from playing a bunch of the multiplayer, right? Because there's, particularly there's one level where there's like a a spiral staircase that has those. um, Mm. Quite, quite memorably to me. My big uh, game over point where I had to look at a walkthrough was I didn't know what to do with Boris in control. Like, uh, first first time he pulled a gun on me, I just shot him and Natalia was upset at me. Second time, I waited till he dropped the gun. Then I hand shopped him and he died from that and Natalia was also angry at me. Yeah, uh, you don't have to do anything to Boris. He's useless. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did, however, since I had to do that twice because I also because I says I say I got stuck. Um, I did get close enough that when he dropped the gun, it didn't hit the floor. I just automatically grabbed it out of the air, and I was like, "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> did you ever accidentally kill him too? Because you get this nope. whole bit with Natalia where she describes killing her former friend as that wasn't very nice of you. I'm gonna go in the elevator now. I actually, the guide I read explained this and was like, seems very petty of like this. Was, no, it was on the, the GoldenEye wiki where it's like, like trivia. It's like, it's very petty of Natalia to let the world, you know, suffer because of her friend. And it's like, what are we doing right now? What is this writing? <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of my favorite things going back to it is the fact that, um, the last level cradle, um, I apparently remembered perfectly. Like there was, I was just like, yes, no, this is the level. I know this exactly. Um, it's an old friend, you know? Yeah. Without even thinking about it, I knew, okay, if I backtrack a bit from the starting area, there's some body armor right behind there. Right. There is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause I don't remember as well as I Yeah. Thought. You get out of the elevator, you make a few left turns before you go on the bridge, and uh, there's some body armor. Huh. Yeah. No, I was just like, okay, go forward. And then you, go, you know, you the guys. And yeah, I just remembered basically the route you need to take. I did not remember that part. But mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, it's fun. Have you did you do the uh have you ever done the trick where Trevor Lud kills himself? I have not heard of that, no. Uh so basically what you can do is um when you first go down the stairs towards the the building where the uh console is, if you just walk over to the wall directly like directly in front of the console like you're on the other side of it you haven't entered the building and you just press your back up against it and shoot anyone coming down the stairs after i don't know like 10 15 seconds trevlin will try to throw a grenade at you and it will bounce off the generator and blow him up (laughs) (laughs) complete the mission in like a minute 13 seconds (laughs) i did see someone else's uh, speed trick for that when i was looking through information where Apparently, if you throw a grenade in that room, you can both take out uh, the communications array and him at the same time. Sure, that makes sense. The real thing for me is um, Aztec and uh, Egyptian, the two secret levels, because as I say, I had never played them before. Um, Aztec is fucking miserable. <laughs> Uh, it is there's a lot of stuff with like opening and closing the shuttle hatch and uh dealing with those fucking moonraker uh laser guns yeah the enemies all have either like moonrakers or they have the like the like the m16 equivalent right and like they're really accurate even on agent they're really accurate they're really like quick to shoot. They're all like wearing like yellow j- jumpsuits with ball caps, and most of them look like they have like like you know carrot top hair. They look ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's just a brutal map of people just like re- like fast killing you and a lot of terrible angles and auto turrets. Um, it's a cool idea because you know the 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 premise behind it is it's like, I think it's the Moonraker people. I never watched that movie. I'm sure I'll have to at some point for this. Um, but they have stolen a space shuttle from NASA and they're getting ready to launch it. And so you're like running around this like launch facility and it's, it's very cool in that way, but it's just obnoxious level design as far as combat encounters. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really something. It also has the only like I think I guess the Trevel and boss fight is okay, right, as far as difficulty, but I think Jaws is the one where it's like, oh no, Jaws could kill you, right? That's that's a fight. Um as opposed to the the like other boss fight I guess you have four boss fights in this game. You have Jaws, you have Trevelin, you have Baron Samadhi, and you have Xenia. Xenia's a joke. <laughs> He kills. I killed Xenia so fast that her music barely had time to start up. Uh huh. Yeah, it just starts and then it immediately stops again. Yep. And you're like, wait, that was. I guess that was Xenia. <laughs> just... Uh the I think I do think it's a more simple level, and there are like I I think I think it's a little underbaked, but the Egyptian temple is actually really cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, like they bring in uh, Baron Smeddy from Live and Let Die and... A real racist movie. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I will say the actor who played Baron Smeddy, fantastic actor who's been in a ton of stuff. Like, he's he's one of the... um, He's one of the members of the Nostromo in in Alien and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's fun to just face against this person who is continuously respawning 
and it adds an element of horror to the goings on in an interesting way. And it's a place with like a lot of like secret, like if you know what to do, the mission is really straightforward, but you probably will have to restart numerous times because it is like, there are a lot of like hidden passageways and guards popping out of, of places. And the main thing is getting the golden gun. That's the reason you're there as banner and somebody's like, I've got the golden gun. So, you know, come find me and maybe you can have it back. And there's like a tile puzzle. Um, is there a way to know what the solution is, or do you just have to guess or read a guide? I kind of watched this playthrough a little bit later, um, just to take a look. And it seemed like the person got the golden gun in a ridiculous amount of time. So it, it seems like it seems like if you know what you're doing when you go in, you can just get it. Oh, did you not play these? I ended up uh, running into a situation with Double O Agent where. Um, I just wasn't able to kind of clear a specific level in time. So after finishing the game uh, on a lower difficulty, I ended up watching the last uh, level. Last two levels. Yeah, I just used a game shark, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Xbox doesn't have a game shark. <laughs> no, but emulators do. Um, yeah. So basically there is a specific like pattern you have to do there's a specific pattern to walk i don't know if there's a way that you are supposed to know it i just had to read the answer um because i tried a couple of times but basically it's like you walk a specific pattern to approach the golden gun and if you take a wrong step um the golden gun gets locked up in a case doesn't open and then a bunch of un indestructible turrets pop out and just shoot you to death jeez um, so it's like it's a cool idea, but I don't know if there's an organic way to figure it out or if it's just like guess and check. Um, so maybe there's a thing where if you if you spend more time in the level, you'll figure out that there's something that tells you that's how you do it. But I couldn't figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, and then you you get the you get the golden gun and that's really fun. I think so, someone pointed out um, when I was doing some some reading that it's like the, these two levels are basically collectively a tribute to the uh, Roger Moore run, right? Because it's the three movies that he was in sort of represented. Um, yeah, at, at a certain point, you were going to be able to play as Roger Moore and Sean Connery in this too, like as a selectable option, but. Uh, at a certain point, uh, United Artists paid a visit to the studio. And they're like, yeah, we, we're not going to pay a few million to get Sean Connery and Roger Moore's like this in this. So just uh, cut them out. <laughs> yeah, um, I should I should read more of that boss fight books. I only got a chance to glance at it. Do they mention do they explain what the deal is with Citadel? Um. Let me double check here. Because there's a there's a like very incomplete, but like another level in the game called Citadel that's dummied out. I don't think they mentioned that one. Like uh, looking through my notes here, and that one didn't seem to come up. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious because it's it's. I mean, there's you can with a game shark you can go there and walk around. There's nothing to it. Right. It's just like a bunch of like walkways and stuff that don't even like connect like the geometry is, is unfinished and there's nothing to do. Um, it loads the, the at least the way I, I did it, it loads instead of uh, cradle. And the first thing that happens is uh, <laughs> treble and spawns out of bounds and instantly dies. So objective B is complete. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit of a mess, but 
Um, yeah, just curious. Yeah, they do get into a lot of the stuff about like the ways in which it was made, though. Like, uh, you know, I-, I feel like one of the more iconic things about Goldeneye is the way that enemies kind of um, grab themselves and fall over and stuff when you shoot them. Um, I had no idea that for certain parts of that, like, they, A, all of that was motion captured by one of the people on the team, and B, there were times where they were just straight up punching him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They basically describe how they had to tell the person to close his eyes because he kept flinching um, when they were trying to do the punch. (laughs) Yeah. Ended up getting pretty bruised up because of it. It's not a good way to do that. Don't do that to a person. Yeah. Again, it was like seven people or eight people working on this uh, for most of it. So a lot of it was just them thinking up things and uh, putting them into practice in that way. Sure. Sure. Also, do you know why the um, they have that whole starring situation at the end of the game, like the end credits? Not really, no. That was something they did to appease Nintendo, who um, was thinking about how it was a little too violent. So there was some suggestion between Rare and Nintendo where, okay, how about after this, you have a situation where you... Bond goes to visit everyone in the hospital and it didn't pan out that way but instead they ended up doing a starring situation to make it feel like more of a movie than a game. Kind of like the Mario World end credits where you know all the monsters pass through. Well not monsters, the enemies I suppose. Rude of me to call them monsters. Sorry Goomba. (laughs) And this is already an anecdote that's kind of well known but uh, this game was not supposed to have multiplayer even though mm. what, multiplayer was like the big thing that uh, turned this into a massive seller. Well, it wasn't supposed to have a competitive multiplayer, but the, even the early documents talked about doing co-op. Yeah, it was just something that Nintendo told them not to do because the game was already late. Um, like the movie came out before the Nintendo 64 was even out and... The game ended up coming out two and a half years after the movie. And essentially they had to they had to negotiate with uh Ken Lobb from then at the time Nintendo Treehouse to be like, okay, here here's this thing that we ended up doing. By the way, don't tell anyone, but it's gonna take another six months. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they ended up releasing like right before Tomorrow Never Dies, um, the next Bond movie, which obviously less than ideal, but it seems like, you know, history has uh, has held up their decision a little bit. Yeah, like I had never heard before now that Rare was actually offered to do a Tomorrow Never Dies game. Um, like they were the ones that ended up refusing after visiting the after visiting the set and realizing we kind of just want to do something else, something with our, something that we can kind of own by ourselves. And that's kind of uh-huh. how golden eye sequel never happened. Huh? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think if there's like one other thing that I, I take away from this, that was sort of like, you know, hindsight is, is, you know, 
not, I don't know about 2020, but it's like going back to it for all the things that I liked about this game, there are still some choices that I find really frustrating, right? Like I, it's very cool that your guards will do like combat rolls and stuff, right? It is less cool when they run out of a building and then combat roll through the wall to be back inside the building. Um, (laughs) It's a fun idea to have, like, to represent, to make make Bond seem a little more human by having him, like, gasp and, like, flinch when he gets shot. But, like, you can get, like, basically stun-locked in this game. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can essentially end your playthrough early just because of, uh, well, not end your playthrough early, but restart the level because of various little things that go wrong. Also, the game can be kind of mean sometimes because pausing the game is not an instantaneous thing. Bond has to take a look at his watch and you can still be shot during that animation. (laughs) Um, Apparently that was always the intent in terms of like adding a risk to pause. Like they wanted people to more or less play through levels uh, in a single sitting as often as possible. And kind of added that as a way to add a risk reward situation to pausing. I disagree with that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Though, it, I mean, I, like, it is kind of iconic. You know, you have the moment where, like, you have Bond looking at his watch as you see, like, tracers whizzing by, right? That is kind of a striking visual from the, from the game after all this time. Yeah. And they make the watch itself look so much cooler than it does in the movie. Like, it is a fancy and impressive watch in real life, but uh, they end up finding a lot more things to do with it in the game. Well, perhaps we should slide over and talk a little bit about the movie then. Cold War, James Bond and fellow MI6 agent Alec Trevelyan uh, break into a Soviet chemical weapons facility. When the two are surrounded, Alec is shot at point-blank range by a Russian colonel, while Bond escapes as the facility goes up in flames. Nine years later, after the fall of the Soviet Union, Bond fails to stop 
Xenia Onatop, a member of the Yanis crime syndicate, from stealing an EMP-resistant military helicopter during a demonstration. The helicopter is soon rediscovered in Siberia, where a remote radar facility is hit by the GoldenEye, a deadly orbital EMP weapon once dismissed as infeasible. Bond finds himself traveling to Russia, fighting Yanis on their own turf, and teaming up with an unlikely ally through Natalia Simonova, a computer programmer who survived the GoldenEye attack. I think one of the, like... My my takeaway going back to this is that my, Martin Campbell, the director of this, is the reason this movie's any good. Yeah, like, I feel like the thing that really clinches it in my memory and also just rewatching it as something that has a bit more emotion than other James Bond movies is... You get that whole bit with Intelia in the radar base as she's just going about her day and she basically has to watch as her co-workers get gunned down and the facility is blown up. And it's just a combination of great directing, music, and acting that that whole moment is like portrayed successfully as horrifying. You never really think about the characters other than bond typically in these movies that get affected by these tragedies yeah it's a lot more sympathetic in that way toward her um and i think also i mean one of the things that i found really striking is it's actually like i think tomorrow never dies tonally fits a lot better with goldeneye 007 than actual goldeneye does because one of the things that goldeneye does consistently and i think is really effective is it shows like the violence is always really chaotic and it's not like whenever you have gunfights, it's like there's, you know, like shit is getting destroyed all around and sparks are flying everywhere and people die so fast and with so little warning. It is not glamorous in the way that I feel like Bond often portrays violence being. Totally. Especially with the bit where he hops in that fucking tank and just lays waste to various parts of St. Petersburg. Just well, if you watch person. that, Jen, you'll note that that's a bad example because he doesn't kill anyone. Right. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> After every time he, like, crushes a car entirely, then we get a brief shot of someone climbing out of the car and going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonder if that's because, like, they were already kind of on thin ice with the with the Russian government in general regarding this film, like that whole intro scene where all women are just dancing on the graves of Soviet stones or whatever, <laughs> like that scene alone got the film banned in various parts of Russia. Understandable. You know, it is, it is women dancing on the graves of Russian heroes and then like, d like destroying like statues of them and also the hammer and sickle. Right. It's, mm -hmm pretty blunt <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's basic it it might as well just be a dance sequence over the grave of the soviet union in general uh-huh uh-huh yeah the billionaires are so excited they finally crushed socialism fucking dickheads uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying i wish the soviet union won the cold war i'm just saying they america did not start that war with the best of intentions <laughs> 
Anyway, my <laughs> politics aside. <laughs> Obviously, this is also the de- debut outing of uh, Pierce Brosnan as uh, as our James Bond, though our second um, Bond with him because we also had the world is not enough what the fuck is tomorrow never dies what even is this move oh right that's the newsy one right i think that might be the news one yeah that's the one that you remember and i apparently have never seen i think um we i keep forgetting this one exists what the hell um (laughs) but like I still think that for for my money, like Pierce Brosnan is like Pierce Brosnan is the guy I think of when I think of Bond, and I think his performance was really really exceptional. Yeah, I think it might be a combination of that and like the video game, like being exposed to that when I was seven years old. But uh, sure. yeah, it it definitely has a whole lot of charm in this one. Like basically, he was hired to this as kind of a counter to um the previous bond who was basically treated as like a lot of people thought he was too serious and uh aggressive in terms of what he was doing so basically pierce brosnan was kind of a counter to be both to add both levity and also just have this edge when he needed to have it and also emotion right because i think a big part of this one like there have been other stories in the Bond story, in the Bond, like, filmography of, like, you know, betrayal, but I think it doesn't ever get done as well as it does here with uh, Sean Bean as uh, Alec Trebek. Alec Trebek? <laughs> Alec Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, good slip, good slip. Yeah, Sean Bean, also an incredibly charismatic actor, and I also watching this, I had the realization that Hideo Kojima definitely watched this when he was uh, writing Liquid Snake, and I feel like a lot of the performance that uh, goes into Liquid was inspired by um, Sean Bean here. Oh, definitely, definitely, that's a good point. Because, um, of course, Kojima, a both a, like, noted, like, film buff but like kind of a shallow film buff right he's out here being like damn the untouchables was amazing you know he's not like art film and then also a guy who is very bluntly like i like this allow me to just take it and put it in my in my work as a reference um (laughs) so you definitely have with you on that yeah, there's just bits where Alec is yelling, and specifically when he's in that tenor, all I could hear was Liquid Snake. <laughs> yeah, and also just sort of like the... I think the dynamic is really strong of, like... Accepting the part where Alec gets a little rapey for no reason, um, I think they do a really good job of showing, like... What that that Bond is like they don't characterize Bond as having like doubts about like doing his job right, but he they do make him be like, I mean, this is what I have to do, but I do feel bad about it. And I feel like that's effective characterization of him because Bond is a shitty guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um he's good at his job, he is a bad person. And I don't think it would work to have him really broken up about this and really be like, I don't know if I can do it because he does. He can shoot anybody. Um, 
And so I think they walk that tightrope where they make him seem like he has something of a heart and also that he chooses to ignore it every day. Yeah. You even get him saying almost as much in the scene on the beach where he's just kind of staring out at the water and Natalia's kind of addressing him like, okay, you're just going to go kill your friend. You're okay with that? And he has to answer, he has to answer him. I'm like this because that's how I live. A little bit. It's a little bit ruined by the fact that it immediately breaks out into a makeout scene, but uh, <laughs> moments before that, it's working pretty well. It's it's such a choice, right? I think Bond has always been a weird franchise as far as how it deals with women and sex. Um, and in this one, it's like... It just sort of happens at times, right? It's not like the scenes tend to naturally... I guess there are times where it's like the scene kind of leads into it, but like a lot of the stuff is just like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. Um, I guess, you know, Xenia is trying to break Pierce Brosnan's femur in a, like, in a sauna. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It tries to have it both ways, because... This was also the introduction of Judy Dench as M, and mm-hmm. she has a scene where she's talking with Bond in her office and straight up tells him, I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, and yet it still has Senya shooting a bunch of civilians and other people with a automatic rifle while she's clearly getting off on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's was good to have the subtitles on and hear and see pleasure sounds repeatedly. Like, okay, thanks. I really appreciate you <laughs> clarifying what's happening right now. Um, yeah, and it's it's great to have her because you know, again, this is partially just you know a factor of my age, but like to me, Judy Dench is M. Right? It's her performance really captured the character for me. Yeah, and she continued to do a. She continued to be a highlight of these movies, uh, like up through the um, Daniel Craig Bond era. Yeah, I think uh, Skyfall is where she quit, right? Yeah, that's the one where I think she straight up dies in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, Judy and herself still alive. That was disturbing. Like, okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, um, it it's kind of sad because she has had a. She's basically legally blind now, from what I understand. Um, her vision started failing her and at a certain point it's like well I can't really act reliably anymore so yeah that's sad I didn't know that as far as the rest of the movie though like as as I mentioned I think there's like there's more industrial stuff going on in this than than I remembered as far as like both like the music as, as we talked about, but also like sort of the imagery, right? You know, you go to the very like, you know, celebration of the laborers, like statue park. Um, we have a lot of like, uh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan saves the day by literally putting a spanner in the works. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of, um, computers as this evil force, um, mm-hmm. where, they're often disarmed by shooting them up or like, as you said, putting a spanner in there. Um, yeah. There's that whole bit where they have that whole hacking thing with Boris, whom 
Alan Cumming doing a pretty terrible Russian accent, but still just makes it work through charisma alone. Well, you got to figure he spent so much time online that his accent's gotten a little confused. <laughs> Obviously, that's what's happening. Uh, and clearly hackers take the time to like do their own um, VJ graphics of themselves and their coworkers. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, in the... It doesn't put too much focus on it. I think, like, you know, hacking shows up a lot, but very often they blessedly just have, like, you know, it's from the monitor's perspective where you see, you know, either uh, Natalia or Boris, depending on who's hacking, just, like, rapidly typing and looking, you know, concerned. Uh, it's for the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also love how this hacker extraordinaire um, basically uses children's riddles to, like as locks for his various uh programs yeah it's like you you try and like crack one of my programs right that's okay what's the password and i'm like 7z ampersand and capital m lowercase k it's like real security would be uh would be it i think though it does have an all-time hacking like movie hacking shot which is after she sends the spike she spikes Boris, so it's like, oh, his computer is locked up and, you know, transmitting it location. You get Boris running to the server and just pulling out circuit boards to try and force it off, um, <laughs> which is just a great shot. Yeah, that, that whole sequence just is incredible in terms of tension because they're dealing with a train that is about to explode and they have to figure out where he is by isolating where he isn't <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. just watching this line bounce between country and country as the timer ticks down it's kind of weirdly phrased because i assume it's just like tracking his proxies right so it's like i mean it's technically true that you're tracking where he isn't but what you're doing is you're following a trail you know mm -hmm. they, they sort of put it a little weirdly there yeah natalia just starts yelling okay he's not in florida he's not in new york he's not in uh california <laughs> He's not in Switzerland. I'm like, great. Where else is he not on the moon? Where else is he not? <laughs> <sighs> also, that pen scene is just fantastic. <laughs> the Q gives Bond this pen that uh, you have to click it in three times to activate a four-second fuse and then click it three times to disarm it. So Boris ends up picking it up when Bond and Natalia are captured twirling it around in his hand uh clicking it at non-standard intervals so at a certain point both you and bond cannot track whether it's still armed or disarmed well bond can because he he knows the moment to slap it out of his hand but yeah it is it is a great like sequence because they have already established his habit of like of, of fiddling with a pen when he's you know anxious um, and yeah, you get the quick, like quick cuts of him, like clicking it twice, then once, then three times, then once. Um, it's also, the pen is also the source of another, just a little thing that I really appreciated in this movie because, uh, Q in like Bond movies is always pretty exasperated with Bond. Right. And I think there is a little moment that goes a long way towards like helping you know, an entire family of these movies, an entire, like, line of them, where after he demonstrates to p the pen, um, 
Bond says the writing is on the wall because it, you know, it explodes and blows up their dummy. And Q just cracks up, right? And just has this big smile. And some almost of like, oh, you have this thing. You two do genuinely like each other, though. Yeah. And immediately before he does that crack, Q says, don't say it. And <laughs> seems pleasantly surprised with what Bond came up with. Yeah, better joke <laughs> than he expected. Yeah, it's just, it's a nice touch because, like, you get so many of these movies. And, and Q is one of the actors. Obviously, we have a different one now right um Mm -hmm. but the actor for q had the role for for a long time um for 17 movies and it's just this little moment of investment helps out 17 movies you know yeah god god remember when they were tried to replace him with john cleese and that did not land at all (laughs) it did not land yeah and that and then you know now they have just some completely other person um not trying to do anything like what Q did because I think they I think they have correctly figured out that that's not the right call. Yeah. At a certain point you you can only do the exasperated gadgets master um shtick for so long before people want something a little different. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he he got two um John Cleese got two movies and then they were on to uh, ben Wishaw, who is the new one who's like a twink. <laughs> Pretty good actor though. Yeah, yeah. I mean and you know they do they do have a actually kind of a as as I recall, they have like a, a jab at Goldeneye when in Skyfall, when it's like Q shows up and uh, is like, okay, here's a radio and a gun. <laughs> and Pawn's like really and yeah okay i have the line here q says were you expecting an exploding pen we don't really go in for that anymore (laughs) (sighs) yeah yeah once they got to the point where they were putting in invisible cars they had to realize they had to they realized they had to reel it in a little yeah i mean that was just i don't know i think it's always been the car stuff has always to me honestly been the weakest part. Not that I dislike chase scenes or anything, but the car gadgets are never as fun as the dumb little doohickeys that Bond randomly gets, right? Like like the cigarette, you know, the one-shot cigarette gun in uh You Only Live Twice, for instance. Mm-hmm. Just like it's better when it's dumb. Yeah. At at a certain point they even even for this particular movie, they do the car stuff and then the car never appears again until it's handed over to um, the CIA agent, Jack Wade. Yeah. So like all the like he he teases like, OK, we got all these, you know, we got, you know, the self-destruct. We got the ejection seat. We got the oh, behind the headlights. You got stinger missile. Nothing. The car the car drives onto on like onto the scene at one point and then drives out. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> Q gets it back alive. Q's gonna like this. Yeah. Uh, I also do enjoy like a uh, Joe Don ba- Baker's uh, version of the foolish uh, Southern uh, American agent in this movie. Like that's been a very hit and miss thing throughout Bond's history, but uh, for sure. Here it's just kind of fun. He has a ass tattoo and uh, with his ex-wife and gets a car running by hitting it with a sledgehammer. Yeah, it's definitely like it's a it's a tribute to that 
awful character from like Man with a Golden Gun and uh was it like uh Live and Let Live Die. And Die. Yeah. Um whew, as Sheriff J.W. Pepper, who is just he might be the worst character in Bond history. I know that's a big claim. But he's very bad. Yeah. Yeah, he just goes around making racist remarks and uh, getting into pratfalls, while Jack Wade here in Goldeneye is more just like a very silly person who um, is is very impressed by plants whenever he runs into one. <laughs> <laughs> I did, uh, it was a pretty good bit with, uh, you know, it's kind of them, like, it's one of those moments where you can tell this movie is actually made in America, despite, fo- like, focusing on British intelligence, where at the end it's like, all right, well, let me call on the Marines. They're all around you, and you didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in classic Bond fashion, uh, Bond starts to make out with Natalia at the end, and it turns out uh, the military is already here yeah, to he's kill been their fun. Making out literally in a field of Marines. <laughs> fun to just think about what they were going through. They were just hanging out here while that was happening. Yeah. I know, it's, it's a good movie in the middle of a very bad period, right? Because it's like, if you look on either side of it, I guess I haven't really seen the Timothy Dalton ones. Most people I know don't have a lot of respect for it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I don't know if I'll be surprising on anyone when I say most Bond movies are quite bad. But also, this is a movie in the middle of just a stretch where it's like, you know, you get Casino Royale. Uh, like four movies later, and obviously I think the the it's the second Casino Royale technically. Um, but the Daniel Craig Casino Royale I think is a good movie. And then before that, like what you look at this list, what is the like the previous good Bond movie? Hmm. <laughs> um. Hmm. I kind of have a soft spot for A View to a Kill just because. Uh... That has Grace Jones in it as one of the big villains in it. Okay. Alongside okay. with uh, um, Christopher Walken. I have not seen that one. Um, in fact, there's a lot of these in this stretch I haven't seen, but it's, you know, I'm looking at, you know, like Living Daylights and Octopussy and Moonraker, which I believe are all pretty bad, but maybe it's not as bad of a stretch as I thought. Maybe it's just like another reminder of how bad this series can be. <laughs> This movie was treated as, like, the movie that saved the franchise back then, because License to Kill was so badly received, and they went so long without another Bond movie that uh, they more or less had to put everything into GoldenEye to make it work. And, like, Pierce Brosnan was originally supposed to be in Timothy Dalton's slot, like, Mm. uh... He the problem was that uh, when they initially approached him for this, he was in uh, that uh, lengthy, lengthy contract for Remington Steel, which uh, basically took up all his time. Huh. Yeah, I guess that explains it. But yeah, the way this movie was received, more or less, like put James Bond back on the map in terms of like, okay, here's the thing that people are excited for. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then years later, they got themselves into hot water again because <laughs> turns out these movies are very expensive to make and they're very hard to like nail. Yeah, I mean, they've. I, I, I'm looking at the list. I don't think they've ever not made a profit, right? But that's obviously not good enough in the in you know the business world. So yeah, and you also have situations like No Time to Die, where it was in post production hell for so long that they had to they had to digitally insert new branded phones for the characters because the old deal expired. <laughs> Yeah. Gosh, I'm so curious about that movie. I like I I haven't seen either of the the two newest ones. I saw Skyfall and I was like, I'm okay cuz I think most of the world likes Skyfall better than me. Um Gosh, I'm so curious about those two now. Cuz with Casino Royale and Skyfall, it's easy to be like, oh, you know, the Daniel Craig era. It's a great era. But that's ignoring the film between them. Which was dog shit. Quantum of Solace is real bad. <laughs> oh, it is. That movie is such a choice on so many levels. I think I think regularly about the villain who was made to drink oil and how ironic it is. I'm like, this is the level we're at. <laughs> Yeah, and the plot was kind of a bait-and-switch situation where it was initially about the oil, but then it turned out to be about water because people don't care about the water as much, so we're going to get one on you. Yeah, yeah. But, Mr. Bond, oil is the water of the economy. <laughs> water is the water of the economy but <laughs> yeah i think that's all i've got what about you yeah I i'm glad you enjoyed this movie because i feel like it is one of my favorite bond movies and it was oh, fun yeah. to go back to it yeah no i think it's like this one's great uh from russia with love is great uh casino royale is great long pause <laughs> <laughs> If uh, You Only Live Twice wasn't so racist, they would probably like it a lot. I, I like it a lot, despite the fact that it's quite racist, I guess, is the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> literally, literally the part where the Bond's like, well, what do we do? And the guy says, I know what to do. Ninjas. <laughs> like, I can't with this. Yeah. Meanwhile, Man with the Golden Gun just ends up being... Ends up turning the racism down too high to the point where it's like, oh, fuck, this is miserable. Yeah, yeah. Even with a very, uh, a very fun performance by uh, uh, Christopher Lee. But yep. we've already covered that on this show, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we'll be back at some point with, uh, with more of these files once they get properly declassified. Um, obviously, that's on a government timeline. We can't necessarily predict, but... Uh, Jen, where can people find you and your work on the internet? So you can find me on Twitter at JBU3. Uh, I'm also on co-host at uh, Jen-and-Aster. And uh, most of my work is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. And you can also find my work there um, because we, we end up being on a lot of things together. And it's the network we built together 10 years now. Um, 
But if you want to find me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Six Detmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. And my DMs are open if you have any questions or comments for anything Scanline related, or you just want to say hi. Uh, but until next time, folks, we should get, we should get a sign-off for this one, huh? Yeah. Uh, let's pod another day. Podcino Royale. So. <laughs> uh. It's it's amazing how even Mission Impossible has a more iconic like uh, sign off than anything from James Bond. What's that? This message will self destruct in fifteen oh, sure. seconds. Sure. Yeah, actually, I didn't think about that being. It's so iconic, I didn't think about it being Mission Impossible. Peace. See ya.